Casey's Confidential. Casey's Confidential. Yay. Kansas City's best. Welcome to Kansas City Confidential, a podcast where we hear from the people behind Kansas City's local restaurants, businesses, and personalities. Each guest shares their personal stories of life in Kansas City and discuss the brands they have built. I'm your host, Sari, and today's guest is Bronson Kistler. Bronson is here to talk about his milk punch. He's a longtime bartender and bar manager in the Kansas City craft cocktail industry, most recently having spent nine years at Westport Cafe. After years of making clarified milk punch behind the bar, he has gone into large-scale production and bottling, bringing the first commercially available clarified milk punch to the retail market in the summer of 2021. Bronson has been featured in The Pitch, Kansas City Magazine, in Kansas City Magazine, Feast Magazine, and Kansas City Business Journal. I first heard about his drink through a close family friend, and it quickly became a favorite of mine, always making sure I have it uh, stacked on my bar cart. Here to talk all about his milk punch is Bronson. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sarah. Nice to be here. Yeah. So um, I guess just for those who don't know what milk punch is to kind of start off, can you explain what that is and how it's incorporated into into your drink? Certainly. Um, In a nutshell, it's a style of drink that goes back uh, to the early 1700s in England when people were uh, making these fresh punches, usually with brandy, lemons, uh, sugar, and uh, maybe a little nutmeg. And then they were clarifying that punch. Uh, Paradoxically, by introducing milk into the mixture, allowing the acidity of the lemons uh, to break that milk, um, and then filtering out the resulting milk solids. There's a protein in the uh, milk solids called casein, and it's like a it's a naturally occurring molecular finding agent. So it attracts all the particulates in the juice, and then when they're filtered out, that extracts all of the cloudiness that was in the punch. Uh, obviously, all the milk solids are also removed. Uh, so everything that's left is the crystal clear uh, elements of the punch, and it still retains all of the flavor of the juice, uh, whatever your base spirit is. And then the liquid whey is also left in the final drink. And that imparts a very unique velvety sort of bewildering kind of texture in the final punch. It not only clarifies the drink, but it also preserves it. So uh, with the removal of the particulates in combination with the acidity of the lemons and the fortification from your base spirit, uh, all of that Uh, sort of combines into this really cool alchemy that preserves all your fresh ingredients uh, indefinitely when done correctly. And then you can even age milk punch uh, over time like you would a a bottle of wine. Um, So that was sort of the the genesis, or I guess sort of the agreed upon genesis of punch. Um, The first recipe uh, appeared in 1711 by a woman named Mary Rocket. And she was at the time a uh, housewife and she was credited with the first recorded recipe and her recipe was pretty straightforward. Brandy, lemons, sugar, milk. Uh, And then through the following century, it got a little more popular over time and um, it kind of came into the hands of people like Benjamin Franklin, who had uh, his own recipe that he was 
had has written down you can actually google it uh there's like a, a document online of his actual his handwriting on like a piece of uh some script paper um with his his recipe and then uh charles dickens was also a big fan and uh, regularly had bottles that he had resting in his wine cellar that were uh, reportedly uh, you know 10 to 15 years old it kind of developed uh, popularity over the you know, around that time up to the, maybe the, the 1800s. And then <clears throat> I don't know exactly why or when, but it fell into obscurity. And it's something that um, it was more or less forgotten for a long time. And then uh, with the recent craft cocktail renaissance, which has kind of been going on uh, in the last 15 or 20 years, plus uh, bartenders like myself uh, who have been in the craft cocktail world uh, are pulling ideas out of the history books. We're getting into, we started getting into pre-prohibition era cocktails and just digging around in an old uh, cocktail history and reviving a lot of these forgotten techniques. And clarified milk punch is, <clears throat> in my estimation, one of the most interesting old techniques to be brought back from history. And in the last five to six years, it's really become like the hot new trend in the craft cocktail world. So there are bartenders all over the world that are making their own punches. There are limitless, uncountable recipes out there. If you walk into any high-end cocktail bar, there's a pretty good chance they've got a milk punch on their menu. And you can make it with anything, any base spirit, any combination of uh, flavors, juice, spices, just like making a cocktail, like it's limitless. So you're basically batching a cocktail and clarifying it with milk. So my, my recipe is one that I developed when I was working at Westport Cafe as the bar manager, it was a drink that I put on in 2016. And we had just had it on as our clarified milk punch. And it's the same, <clears throat> same recipe that uh, is now currently in the bottles that we make. So yeah, that, I guess that gets in more into how I, how I developed it. So that's basically what clarified milk punch is. Um, and what is uh, the ingredients that you're using in your own milk punch? You said that it, there can be a really wide variety. So what is in your own milk punch? So in my recipe, uh, the base spirit is a, an, is an aged bourbon and we just get a finished bourbon from a uh, distillate from a distillery. So we get, we get it. It's a finished, finished bourbon that we use as our base spirit. And then I add in fresh juice from lemons that we juice right there in our facility, fresh apple juice and fresh ginger juice. And then uh, we make a, an aromatic tea using spices like cinnamon, clove, allspice, uh, star anise. And that all gets mixed together with a little bit of cane sugar to kind of counteract the acidity from the lemons. And that becomes a really nice, well-balanced whiskey punch. Uh, in that state, the punch is really cloudy and it's it's dark so cloudy from the juice and dark from the the darkness of our spices and our tea and the bourbon so then <clears throat> that's when we add the milk the acidity breaks that milk and then we filter out the milk solids so once everything is filtered out uh, the end result is crystal clear um, so you, the the primary flavor notes is you get some really nice oak and richness from that base bourbon, and then you get some really refreshing acidity from the lemons, some fruitiness from the apple, some zesty kind of bite from the ginger. Uh, the warm spices kind of create this really cool balance of something that's refreshing, but also 
kind of warming at the same time. And then the liquid whey being incorporated in the final drink rounds everything out, smooths it out, and then creates this really nice, long, velvety kind of finish. And yeah, me, you obviously uh, bottling this drink, um, have so much knowledge about this stuff. I'd love to hear more about your background within bartending. You said you worked at Westport Cafe for nine years. How'd you get into to bartending? So I originally got into bartending. Well, at the time I was playing in bands a lot. So when I was in my early to mid 20s, kind of basically through my 20s, I was playing in a lot of different bands around town. And uh, I, you know, I was just looking for a for a job that allowed flexibility that I could punch in, punch out, make money, take time off if I needed. It was all, you know, just trying to create a flexible lifestyle to to be a, a band guy. So, but over time I got less into music. I mean, I still play all the time, but not, uh, haven't played in a band in a while. And I got more, the more I got into, uh, bartending and, uh, was sort of shown this whole new world of this, you know, craft cocktail mixology kind of thing. I was super interested in it and it really kind of captured, it captured my interest, uh, I guess. So, my first, I guess my first job in the industry, I, I got a job as a back waiter at P.F. Chang's and uh, back in 2008. And then <clears throat> I kind of worked from back waiter to server there and then uh, moved from there to a place called J.P. Wine Bar, which is now Tannen Wine Bar and Kitchen down on 16th and Walnut. So I started there as a, uh, as a bar back and server. And there was a, a gentleman there by the name of Jared Finn. And uh, he, was, uh, he was one of the main bar managers there. And he kind of took me under his wing and showed me the ropes on bartending and showed me a, a couple of really cool books, two of the kind of books that have become what most bartenders, I think, would refer to as canon in the, in the cocktail scene. Uh, one being The Joy of Mixology by Gary Regan and one called The Craft of the Cocktail by Dale DeGroff. Anyway, um, so I poured through the, both of those books and just kind of opened my mind up to opportunities and the ability to act creatively behind the bar. And so <clears throat> I was hooked and I started messing around with recipes and within uh, a pretty short amount of time, I had my first drink on the menu and uh, it was just really cool kind of a first time I'd ever put something on a menu and was able to kind of see how people responded to it, getting feedback, you know, having just naming something, putting it in print and looking at people order it and enjoy it. It was a pretty cool feeling. So that was kind of the start of that. I made more drinks on that menu. Uh, and then I ended up moving from JP Wine Bar to a place called R Bar, which is now where Voltaire is down in the West Bottoms, which Voltaire is also awesome place. That was a really cool bar to work behind it. Very similar aesthetic. It looked nearly the same as it does now as Voltaire. They've, um, they've changed some things up, but that was a really fun bar to work behind. I was there for a little bit, same thing, kind of took on more responsibility with the program. And then I moved from there to the cafe. And that's kind of where I really put my roots down, so to speak, and found an environment that I really enjoyed. It was a small, intimate environment. Uh, I was allowed to, you know, eventually allowed to have total creativity and freedom over the menu. And uh, it just kind of became my little, my little safe place, I guess, like uh, just really liked tucking in there, talking with regulars, developed a lot of really cool uh, relationships across that bar and really just, you know, worked on trying to create a cool vibe, a welcoming vibe, 
and also uh, create like a, a pretty, tried to be innovative as I could with the cocktail program and really strive to provide guests with a, with a pretty special experience there. And um, so, yeah, I, I hung out there for nine years total. And by the time I had put the milk punch on the menu, <clears throat> that was 2016. And it immediately became a really, really popular drink over the years. It just gained in popularity. In fact, like I put it on in like October of 2016, and then I was going to change the recipe the following year. And, and nobody wanted me to change the recipe. Everybody kind of righted against that. So I just left it on. It got, like I said, got really, really popular, uh, more popular than any drink we'd ever put on the menu. Eventually people started asking me for bottles to take home to, you know, they're like, I'm having a cocktail party. I'd really like to pour this for my friends. Can I buy a bottle or for gifts or for weddings? Um, so that I kind of clandestinely started selling bottles on the side. And then it just got to the point where it seemed like a no brainer. A lot of people started asking if I ever thought I was going to go into full-scale bottling and that kind of, I kind of like, I finally kind of crossed that barrier in my mind of what, what I could possibly accomplish with that recipe. And, um, and then it took a couple of years to figure everything out and get all the regulations sorted, but that ultimately led me to finding a production facility, starting production, bottling, and then launching in the market in August. And, and here we are. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I definitely want to get into sort of more of the bottling process and how you came up with your logo and everything like that. But I kind of want to go back to your time in the industry as being a bartender and a mixologist and kind of what you said, the surge of craft cocktails. I don't think people really realize or appreciate how much knowledge bartenders have to have of truly of alcohol and like what goes together and what flavors go together. When you were first starting out, what was that sort of like, you know, really understanding? Because of course you have your vodka tonic or um, rum and Coke, you know, kind of the basic drinks, but again, going, you know, the like real craft cocktails. I just want to hear more about the, how fun it was to kind of come up with, with the different drinks that you, you were coming up with and that eventually made their way onto, to menus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's um, there is a lot to know, and as long as I spent learning myself, uh, reading, you read books, you read articles. There are plenty of you know cocktail industry centric magazines that you know that have you know uh, countless articles on different types of rum, or you know the the mezcal world, or like really obscure stuff like um, like the Iraq and Indonesia, like Baiju from China. Like there's just all these like really weird, obscure or obscure, I would say to, to someone from the United States spirits. I mean, it's really limitless. So I guess what I'm saying is as much as I feel like I've learned, like I, there's still so much out there that, that I don't know. And that's one of the really exciting things about what this industry's kind of become is that um, as much as you want to learn, in my opinion, there's really no end to it. Um, so it's just, it's hard to say, like it just over time, you just kind of learn as you go. Uh, I, over the years, I learned more about the different types of rums. I learned, you know, differences between 
bourbon and scotch whiskey and Irish whiskey and uh, Canadian and Japanese whiskey, like any sort of what I would call its own spirit category has a countless number of subdivisions. So just the not learning the knowledge of the different types of spirits that are out there, um, their origins, the history behind them, that in and of itself is, is pretty vast. And I just, I just kind of learn over time, like whatever I happen to be interested in at the time, I just kind of focus and, and independent study. Also, we learn from each other, you know, uh, it's a very tight knit community. I would say all of us bartenders, we know each other and, you know, we hang out, we talk about stuff and, you know, somebody will bring something up that you you've never heard of and then that becomes something you're interested in so it kind of happens organically like that too it's just everybody bouncing information off everybody else but then yeah I guess to your other, other part of that question would be how I sort of take that knowledge and then apply it to quote-unquote mixology um, it's it's a lot of trial and error um, it's a lot of it's, it's also kind of, I would never want to, uh, to hold myself to the esteem of someone who's like an executive chef in a fine dining restaurant, but there are culinary aspects to creating cocktails. So like knowing just what flavors go together, what spices go with which, with which type of produce or natural ingredient. It just, there is that culinary aspect. So just finding, finding balance. And um, that's just a lot of that's trial and error. That being said, though, there is sort of like a, a foundational starting point when a student of craft cocktail bartending like myself, I can't speak for everybody, but I would say what my experience was isn't too dissimilar from the average other, you know, all the other bartenders out there. But there were a group of a, a core group of guys um, who in the 90s kind of started getting this movement going and they spread their knowledge out there. And a lot of putting cocktails together has to do with knowing the history of them. Uh, so, you know, everything kind of started back with, with uh, just a basic rum punch that was just like rum and limes or rum and lemons and sugar that, that uh, British sailors would bring onto a boat to prevent scurvy, you know, and over time, uh, things just kind of progressed and I don't want to get bogged down in history, but, but um, there are, the basically the basic cocktail structure what you end up learning is that uh, you need a base spirit you need um, water for dilution you need bitters and then some sort of sweetener which is typically sugar and that that is what we know as the old-fashioned so the old-fashioned cocktail is really kind of one of the the main the main genesis of of cocktails so you have your all of your basic elements, you have your spirit, your sugar, your water, and your sweetener. And then from there, you just kind of build from that. So again, trying to verbalize this without droning on too much, but you do learn sort of these, uh, this rubric, basic rubric for how to put a cocktail together. And that's kind of where I started. There are different families of drinks. You have sours, you have fizzes, you have daisies, you have flips, so on and so forth. So there, you learn about the history of the cocktail, how things sort of got categorized, how they relate to each other. And that gives you a good base knowledge. When I had that base knowledge, you can start taking um, those sort of categorical drinks, embellishing them, switching out ingredients, adding ingredients, doing infusions in the spirit to add more flavor, uh, making your own syrup. So instead of just adding simple syrup to a drink, uh, maybe we wanna infuse the syrup with sage and rosemary and see how that plays. Um, and then it's just, and then once you have that base, it's just trial and error experimentation. 
I cannot tell you how many drinks I have that totally failed, how much product from the bar I ended up getting dumped down the drain and sort of like <laughs> written off as, you know, R and D, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's just a, it, it's a knowledge base combined with just sort of exercising your creativity and trial and error, trial and error until you get something that works. When I was at the cafe, a lot of times I liked to, what if I was working on a drink, I liked to, you know, make it for people as I was developing it and get feedback from people. You know, a lot of people like to sit down at the bar and like, they're like, what are you working on now? And I'd give them samples, you know, that would help me kind of tweak things down. So it's a, it's a pretty organic process. Um, I don't really have a a set, a set methodology. I just kind of play around till something, till something clicks. And then, and then I go with it. Nice. Well, clearly the recipe for your milk punch clicked and has been doing really well. So I want to get into kind of the start of the production of that. You said that it kind of happened organically in terms of people asking you for bottles. And so take me to that next step. People are asking you, where can they buy it? Can you know, do you sell bottles of it? And you have this moment of, okay, we, we need to really produce this thing. What ha- what happens next? What was the next step? So I want to keep this as tight as possible because there were, it was all, there was a lot we went through from the point um, that I decided I wanted to try to do this to finally getting launched. And there were many as an amateur in the production side of things, there were a lot of lessons that I learned along the way, things that I found to be required of me and our process, et cetera, that I had really no idea that um, there were a lot of challenges that presented themselves. But basically um, my, my partner, his name's Joel Karen. He is, he and I were, we worked together. I met him when I started working at Westport Cafe actually. And he ran, ended up running the catering side of our business. And he and I were just buddies, uh, good friends. We were out to dinner one night over three years ago now. And uh, I just kind of, kind of, the first time I really talked about it to anybody seriously, and I, you know, I said, Hey, I'm thinking about maybe trying to bottle milk punch. Like, I, I don't know how to do it just yet, but I'm going to start trying to f- figure it out and uh, I'm going to need help. So he, um, I, you know, I asked him if he was interested and we, we started talking about it right there. Um, and then over the, over, as it got more serious, we formed a, an agreement. We started an LLC and then, you know, it's kind of went from there. So that's how I found, you know, my partner and he and I basically do everything now, uh, as far as the production, but getting there, it just took some time. Um, we originally had a facility that we were renting, that we were trying to outfit in, uh, Westport, but we ran into a myriad of issues there. Most of which we were able to overcome, but there were some very primary issues that we couldn't, uh, resolve with the city. So we ended up moving from that space, shopping around at some different places, uh, looking for other, uh, properties to rent and outfit. And then ultimately ended up at a facility down in Lee Summit, which is a buddies of mine that, that run it and have it licensed. Um, so we, we plugged in there. Uh, it's the same place that all of the, if you go around and see Fountain City Ice and some of the Hy-Vees and liquor stores, it's like this really crystal clear ice that's served in branded bags. Uh, that's where they make um, all of those ice cubes. And it's just a, it's a big facility that's 
licensed and we were able to go in there and plug into their distillery licensing because they also they're licensed to do a number of things in various parts of the facility um, so we were able to plug in there and get going um, on production. But even getting to that point, there were a lot of different hurdles. One of the main hurdles would, was with the FDA because the process that we use to clarify and preserve our punch, the FDA was kind of like looking at us like we were crazy people and basically kind of stepped in and said, uh, you guys need to show us that this process is safe. Because as I mentioned kind of earlier, this is an old clarification and preservation technique. We don't use any preservatives. We don't add any artificial chemicals. We aren't really pasteurizing our juice at all. The apple juice is lightly pasteurized, but the ginger and the lemon is all completely fresh. So there were no steps that we were taking in our process that the FDA had recognized as a, what they would call a microbiological kill step. So we had to uh, go through a series of studies with FDA certified labs to document that this process was safe. And ultimately, um, as you might expect, uh, since we are in the market, we did get approved. Our process more than did well above the minimum requirements for the preservation of a shelf stable product. And um, once we got that green lighted, we were basically cleared to move ahead. So that was a bit of a process in and of itself. Then, you know, from there, we take our, our formula and submit it to the Alcohol Tax and Trade Bureau. They regulate all of the alcohol production in the United States. And so we had to submit that formula to them, get that approved. And then once that formula is approved, we, we then take our label that we had been working on and submit the label for approval, get that approved. Then we source all of our ingredients. We run our first line of production, cross our fingers that everything goes well, and it did. So we were able to put that first uh, that first batch together and start bottling it last summer and then launch in August. That's just a basic little snapshot of everything that goes into it. Suffice to say there were there were no small amount of challenges. You know, we also, Joel and I, we kind of bootstrapped. We didn't have money to to hire lawyers or, you know, we're, we're, we're self-funded through, through loans and, you know, savings. And we've kind of been trying to get as much of this done on our own as we possibly can. That obviously made it take a little bit longer than it, than it might have otherwise, but we learned a lot and uh, we're just happy that we made it out on the other side. So obviously th these were hurdles that, that you had to jump. So you're on the other side of it. You, you kind of have your your finished product, where was the first place in Kansas City that you went and sold the bottles to? Or did you have an idea of having the relationships you've built within the city? Did you have ideas of these are places I definitely want to have on the shelf first? Yeah, as far as the what we call the on-premise side, which would be the bars and restaurants, uh, there were a lot of places that I I initially wanted to hit. And I, I at first, I, I tried to hit as many as I could out of the gate, but we were also self-distributing. And so I was running production, um, hitting hitting uh, bars and restaurants. A lot of, you know, I've got, like I said, this the industry is very tight knit. So as you kind of hinted at, I have a lot of friends who run bar programs or run restaurants or run their own bars. So there were a number of those places that I, that was my first go-to. It was like going to see my homies and trying to find, you know, people that were on board with it. And I'd already, a lot of people already kind of knew that was happening. So they were just sort of waiting for me to be ready to have product. So yeah, and there are a lot of places, some of the initial places that 
we went were um, uh, Farina and Extra Virgin, Hotel Kansas City, um, the Savoy at 21C, Harry's Bar and Tables, Westport Cafe, obviously, because that's, you know, it's kind of where it all started. So they started carrying it pretty quickly. Anybody that listens to us and listens to this podcast and doesn't hear their names right off the bat, I apologize. There was just a lot going on. I'm trying to remember all the places that we hit, but it was it was a number of bars and restaurants that people I was connected to. Another one, or I'm sorry, as far as the retail side, sort of the first two places we wanted to get in were Mike's and Gomer's. We did our first tasting at Mike's in Westport. Uh, and then shortly after that, we did uh, some more tastings with Gomer's. And all of that was pretty well received. Um, we started moving a good amount of product through those stores. And then some smaller retailers, people I know uh, who are who I've met recently, who ran small retail stores. So we uh, got in at Cellar Rat, we got in at <clears throat> Big Mood Wines in the Crossroads, a little natural wine store, uh, Underdog Wines, uh, a couple of places down in uh, Lee Summit called Red Door Wine Store and Libations and Code. Uh, two really, really cool spots down there. At first, especially when we were distributing ourselves. It was just going and seeing a lot of people I knew who knew it was coming and were interested. And that gave us a good sort of initial push to get out into the market. From there, we kind of started hitting just as many new accounts as we could. And within a couple of months, it, it got away from us. It was, it was harder to keep up with. Um, I was starting to get requests to go over into Kansas because we only had a Missouri distributor's uh, permit. Um, so I, at that point, I couldn't sell in Kansas. Uh, but there were a lot of places, retailers that were um, interested in, in that on the other side of state line. And I started getting interest from places outside of the city in general. And around that time, uh, we, let's say we launched in very end of August. And then uh, coming into October, there was uh, one, there were a few distributors that showed interest, but there was one in particular that we talked to and uh, really got a good vibe from them. They're a smaller company. They're called Veritas Wine Selections and they're really rad people, really passionate, very quickly growing. And we just got a really good vibe from them that it would be a good partnership. We could work together to grow organically. So we signed on with them in October and they took over our distribution. And then pretty immediately, we saw a pretty quick spread across both states uh, as far out as St. Louis and then as far out as Topeka and Wichita. And then as we hit the holidays, uh, demand really, really ramped up. And so it, I don't think we could have really timed it any better. Launching in the middle of summer, towards the end of summer, getting our sea legs and kind of getting some presence in the market in time to get on with a, with a really great distributor and tackle uh, the holiday season, you know, as hard as we could. So, so currently uh, are Missouri and Kansas the only places that you can purchase a bottle or can you purchase it elsewhere? Uh, currently, Missouri and Kansas are the only markets that we sell in. Um, we don't, we do not yet do direct to consumer sales. We have licensing to sell um, through distribution channels. So that basically means our distributors present in Missouri and Kansas. That is who we go through now. If we were to, to venture into new states, it would, it's a matter of um, shopping around for new distributors state by state, basically. We are looking to potentially do that by the end of the year. Um, but right now, between Missouri and Kansas, we've got a good amount to keep us to keep us going. So we're we're gonna kind of feel out the, you know, the the spring and summertime. And as we get into the holidays, sort of assess if we want to jump into 
some different states. But I feel like it's a pretty solid possibility that we'll do that by the end of this year. But don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> and are there any other goals for Milk Punch by the end of the year? Do you have any other, would you ever expand on like the products that you're selling or anything like that or kind of sticking sticking to what you have now? I'm glad you asked. I'm actually working on the second recipe right now that I am pretty close to finalizing. And then it's just a matter of getting it all approved and getting all of my ingredients sourced um, and then getting production going on that. So we are looking to launch our second recipe um, sometime in the beginning of summer. Right now we've we've been writing out what I would call our flagship recipe, which is the one that's out there right now, obviously. And then uh, the one coming up, I won't divulge any details yet, except to say that it really leans pretty heavily into uh, the summer season. Like I said before, our the, the original recipe, when I was serving this at the cafe in Westport, it really didn't matter whether it was January and 10 degrees or the middle of July and over a hundred. We just, it didn't matter. It just, we sold it all year round. Cause even with those spice characteristics and that richness from that bourbon, there's this refreshing, zesty, gingery, lemony quality that goes on that makes it really refreshing at the same time. And we can all, one of the other cool things about this type of product is not only is it perfectly delicious on its own, but it also functions very well as a liqueur, quote unquote, as a, as an ingredient in other cocktails. So I guess kind of touching back on one of your previous questions, as far as finding places to, to carry it, as far as bars and restaurants, there are a lot of places that serve us by the glass, but there are other restaurants that have us on our back bars or on their back bars and that use the punch as an ingredient in their own cocktails. And there've been some really cool drinks I've seen people make around town using this as an ingredient. That helps the functionality year round with it. Um, but we really wanted to put something out in the summertime that really leaned heavily into those summery kind of vibes. So the next recipe will be a nice summer slammer, I'm hoping. <laughs> awesome. I'm, I'm so excited to try it whenever that comes out. Like I said, I, um, and I'm totally not pulling your leg. I, uh, I have kept a bottle of your milk punch consistently on my bar cart. I, um, so as I mentioned in the intro, we kind of have a shared family friend. And I believe when the bottle was first being sold, I don't know which which retailer, but Beth Dricks had, she's going to love the shout out, um, had texted me and said, I bought you a bottle of something you need to come over. Da, da, and I go over there and Beth and Michael are telling me all about the drink and obviously your career at Westport Cafe and served it to me over, over ice since she had bought me a bottle of it. And I haven't tried it as a liqueur. I've only had it on ice, but I loved it so much. I took it home and I don't know how quickly it was gone, but I will tell you it was it was fairly quickly. And then the first restaurant bar that I went to that carried it, from, from my experience, I went to Kansas City Hotel. I went to that bar and then town company for dinner. And that was like the only thing I was drinking. So um, having not met you yet, but just knowing a little bit of your backstory and I was very excited to see to see it, some of the restaurants that that I frequent. So that's great. Um, that's thanks for sharing that. That's really cool. The the Drix are great people. Sam Sam and I've been buddies for a while. He's I, he's killing it in New York, but I do I miss hanging out with that guy. Yeah, 
I, when I was starting uh, this podcast or talking to people about starting this podcast, uh, actually your name was a frequent name that, that came up. I work in a transportation uh, transportation broker and we have a wine and spirits team. And um, there were people who were mentioning knowing that the podcast was focused on local. I had people mention your name and I was like, I'm already, I'm on it. <laughs> I've contacted him. So uh, your name came recommended by, by numerous people, which I think is great. I think that really um, kind of pays tribute to again the relationships that you've built in this city and sort of the career that you, that you've built with what you're doing. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Thanks. And so when I, I imagine that there is a lot of alcohol in your life is you're always, always playing around, but when you're not working, you know, what, what does life look like for you? Oh yeah. Well, I, I do work on this quite a bit, but outside of that, I, I recently got married to my wife, Taylor, uh, back in September and, um, we got a house together. And so I like to, we like to have our friends over. I love to cook as I haven't been behind uh, the bar in a couple of years. Like I've been focusing on the kitchen and really just working on, I just love to, I love to cook. I love to mess with recipes in the kitchen, try different types of cuisine. So I do a lot of that. We, we host a lot of friends here, uh, spending time with family. I love the outdoors and camping. Uh, I haven't done as much of that recently as I would like, but it's been uh, a big part of my upbringing and kind of who I am. Um, and there's plenty of good camping around, uh, really good, good flow, good rivers nearby. I like to bike, I bike around. I have a, in the, in the more tepid months, I like to commute by bicycle and I got a crew of people that we get out and go on bike rides together and then yeah just I love uh, when I can whining and dining and just and that's that's across the spectrum one of the things I really like about KC is the culinary scene there's a lot of really great people doing really really cool stuff and it and um, not only is it great to sit down in those restaurants and enjoy what they're what they're creating but it's also a it's inspiring you know, it's like when people are sharing ideas, you can enjoy it, but you know, if you can also soak up what people are doing and, and it's, I find a lot of inspiration in what people are doing around town. So, um, and it's not always like that, you know, meaning that I don't always just go out to like the sort of the, the innovative, creative, fancy type restaurants. Like I also love kicking it at Harry's Bar and Tables, which is a, a grand emporium of industry hangout. Like it's just, it's been an industry bar for a long time and uh, it's just a good place to go run into people and catch up. The guys down at Lucky Boys, Shea Charlie's, you know, Tower Tavern, just places to just kick it. I love a Jack and Coke. I've always loved a Jack and Coke. People always give me a uh, guff. They're always like kind of weirded out that it's a drink that I like, but it's, you know, I drink a lot of Jack and Coke. I'll say that. <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with that. So yeah, I was, I was going to ask you what some of your favorite restaurants in, in Kansas city are kind of mm. give me a couple of like the higher end, like nice. And then some of the more casual places. Yeah. Well, I wish I could say everybody. It's tough to narrow things down to a few just because I, I really do. It's more than, than can be said in, in, a, in a brief snippet. But I think uh, of my, if I were to throw out some favorites right now, I, I've always thought Antler Room has been a really, really great spot. They, uh, Nick and Leslie over there, uh, just do a 
a spectacular job, not only with the uh, with the kitchen, but with the bar program. And every time I go there, I'm, I'm just never ceases to amaze me what they're working on. Yeah, Antler Room. I think Corvino, uh, Corvino they've got a lot of really cool stuff going on there. Uh, the Savoy at 21C is a great spot. Their, their menu is phenomenal. Uh, they do a lot of stuff, a lot of what I quote unquote higher end stuff very well, but they also make a great smash burger. It's one of the best burgers in town. If you haven't tried it, I highly recommend it. And then uh, their bar program is very, very cool. Uh, some of the some of the better drinks I've had recently, I've had there. And then you know, the cocktails kind of in that vein. The the people down at campground are doing a great job. Their stuff's on point. Really like what they're doing over at Town Company um, and down at Nighthawk uh, down in the basement. Uh, really cool kind of club that opened up. They have live music and just the the culinary scene over there and the 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 cocktail scene there is really cool. Farina Extra Virgin have been longtime standard favorites of mine. Really cool, it's sort of Italian inspired cuisine and then tapas on the other side and bartenders there are, are just great people and they're doing really cool stuff. And then, yeah, kind of already mentioned like on the, what we'd say the, the more the affordable side of things. I love uh, just a good hang place. So Lucky Boys is a great spot. There's always, you know, it's always fun hanging out with uh, whomever's hanging out down there. Uh, I really like the shit uh, down in the West Bottoms. Uh, Shea Charlie's has kind of always been a, I've been going to Shea Charlie's for a long time. Mini bar, Harry's Barn Tables. Yeah, too many. I mean, I'm inevitably going to leave so many people out. But And I also really like uh, High Dive down on 39th Street. And while we're on 39th Street, uh, Room 39. Uh, just for lunch or dinner like I don't know but I've always I've been going to room 39 for a long time it's in my neighborhood I've been a borderline regular there for like the last 10 years so that's uh kind of it in a in, a, in brief I yeah. would say <laughs> a, a good a good variety do you find yourself being that you know so many people you have all these connections that do you feel very in the know in terms of like what restaurants are working on or what new craft cocktails are coming out maybe even what new restaurants are opening up do you feel like you're always kind of connected in that in that sense that you know kind of what's going on yeah i try to i try to be i you know i was for a long time not being behind the bar as much there's a small amount of deep-rooted connection i mean i used to see people you know coming through the bar all the time you know uh, talking about things and now it's it's i may have to maintain more of like sort of a, a motivated active connection but um you know, that being said, I think there are a lot of, I would say that I'm relatively in the know, but I, but I also know there's a lot of newer bartenders, uh, people that are kind of new on the scene, let's say that are doing really, really cool stuff. And I'm trying to, to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on there too. But it, uh, it's so constantly changing and evolving that it's, it's really hard to keep up with everything. There's just so, there's so much going on uh, in the, the culinary and uh, cocktail scene uh, that it's really hard to keep up because there's just so every, every few months, you know, there's just more and more really fresh and exciting talent coming up and making waves and, and, you know, making their stamp. So in general, yes, I think I'm relatively in the know, but I know that it's, it moves so quickly that it really does take an effort to stay on top of all the really cool stuff that's going on, you know, but I try, I try to stay on top as best as I can. <laughs> I, I feel you on that. I've try to always act as if I know what's going on or what new place is opening up, but it's, it feels like a full-time job 
trying to keep Mm -hmm. up with everything, especially, you know, looking at like the Casey Metro area as a whole, or, you know, the suburbs of Kansas city and all of that. It's there's so many new things going on, which I think says a lot about the city. I think is awesome. I think the city is really expanding, but um, yeah, a lot, a lot to keep up with. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So if there was something that you could change about Kansas city, what would you change if there was anything? Yeah. I, um, so it's really cool to see the growth um, the and the, the burgeoning new businesses and restaurants and people moving here um, to like set down roots. Uh, sometimes I look around and see some of the development, some of some of these uh, complexes and apartment buildings and condos that go up really, really quickly um, and sort of all bear a resemblance to one another. So I would say like maybe not something I dislike about the city, but something that I would I would hope endures is sort of the Kansas City community, um, the character of the city. There's so much history in the city. There's there's a lot to love about, you know, where the city came from. And that I feel like is is preserved in the character of the city as it stands. And I would just hope that in some way or another that that can be preserved as the city continues to grow at an increasing rate. Don't want to lose our roots. And I'm sure we won't. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people here that, that really love the city in general. I think it's pretty great. I don't think I would change anything. <laughs> it's awesome. That's yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree. It's a little, um, intimidating is not the right word, but seeing all these, uh, I work out South, I work in Leewood, live in Waldo. So I definitely pass a lot of those complexes that you're, they're talking about, but then, yeah, I'd come back to kind of the Waldo neighborhood and fully embraced like being a Waldonian and just yeah all the like history and evolution of even just this area or so many things so it's um I I think that uh the history of Kansas City is definitely something that I am trying to be better about educating myself on but I think a lot of people take it for granted because this city really does have so much history and I mean even going back to just being in the cocktail industry I mean the prohibition yeah I think a lot of people know Kansas City was really involved in that but don't Mm -hmm. really know kind of the nitty-gritty details of you know who kind of the top people were and what was really going on in the city during that time and how that's how that sort of affected the the way our city is now or even just again the like embracing of of our city's history yeah yeah absolutely and yeah there's the effect of prohibition on that on a, a very unique growth in this city was pretty interesting and there's a lot there's a lot to swim in there but but it's cool that a lot of people sort of are aware of that sure so you said you are working on a a new recipe don't want to give too much away which i totally understand Anything else you have coming up? Are you continuously working on even just other local retailers or other restaurants and bars to to get your current recipe in? Yes, um, that's that's a constant push. That's um, you know that's yeah. I'm definitely working on finding new places to carry. You know, getting outside of the, the connections and the community that I know well. It's really nice to have all of that support. Definitely wouldn't have been able to do this without the support of people that I've that I know, the relationships I have, uh, the friends that I have in the industry. That was the their big initial push, and um, and I still haven't completely tapped into to 100% of that either. So I'm, I'm still trying to get out to see to see people that um, I haven't been able to reconnect with just because it is such a big scene. 
Um, but then, yeah, getting out beyond that, getting out into new markets, you know, outside of Kansas City, you know, out into Columbia and St. Louis and out in Lawrence, Kansas and Wichita and Topeka. And, and so far, our, um, uh, the distributor, uh, Veritas, they've been paramount in, in getting that, getting traction in those markets. So as a producer, a lot of that is just finding time to follow up, go connect with the people that do have the product, people I haven't met yet. It's cool seeing on Instagram bars in St. Louis that are pouring it on their bar program and, and posting pictures of them pouring Bronson's Milk Punch, uh, you know. Uh, it's really, really cool. It's been kind of a trip to see all that happen, but a lot of this is about going out and connecting with those people directly. Um, I feel very confident in our, the people that work at our distributor, the sales representatives and the people in the field, having great relationships with those people. But as a local producer, it's important to make those connections personally as well. So is it ever, does it ever get kind of trippy seeing your name on the bottles? Cause your name is on, on the bottle and is, you know, kind of at the day, your original, your recipe that you put together, does it ever get weird seeing sort of your name all over the place or, you know, the Instagram account, just that it really is obviously you have a team behind you and, and a great support system, but kind of at the end of the day, I mean, your name really is, is on this product. Yeah, it does. Uh, it's a good question. It does get, it, it is weird sometimes. I mean, naturally it's pretty cool to see that, like just to feel like a sense of accomplishment in that way, you know, like seeing your name out there uh, on liquor shelves and on back bars, but it also is, it also is weird and it can be a little strange and it takes some getting used to, I guess. And then sort of, I've kind of compartmentalized in my brain, like Bronson, myself, my name, my life, my friends, like who I am. And then Bronson's as a brand name, you know, like, and there's this, there's this weird sort of partition I've put up in my brain between the name as a brand and the name as, as myself. It's a little, it's a little weird sometimes, but just taking it all in stride, you know, just trying to enjoy, enjoy as much of it as I can while trying to keep uh, my head forward and moving to, uh, to grow this thing as best we can. At any point, were you kind of taken aback with how successful this was? Or like I said, there was already sort of a sense of following in the drink when you were working at Westport Cafe. Were you, yes, like this is going to hit the market. It's going to be great. Like we know there's a following or was there some hesitation when you really had this thing out there and you were, you know, selling, selling the bottles? Honestly, it really took off pretty quickly and it did kind of make my head spin. Like I, I had sort of hinted at this, but uh, Joel, my partner and I uh, had the idea that we would be able to run our own distribution for six months to a year uh, after coming out of the gate and two months in. We, I, we couldn't keep up. Um, I mean, we could, but it was starting to get to the point where um, the demand or the perceived demand was rising to a point where I didn't see how we'd be able to keep up on our own. Yeah. So out of the, out of the gate, it really did kind of make my head spin. It got a little, a little stressful keeping up with everything. And then knowing that there was interest coming in from, from several different distributors was kind of crazy. I didn't, I didn't think it was going to happen that quick. And I thought I would really have to, you know, when it got to the point that we wanted to go with a distributor that I'd have to really go out and, and pitch it. But uh, it was pretty crazy to see that, that we were getting some interest just from uh, distributors that saw it performing locally in the market. When we went with Veritas, that was a, that was a huge springboard for us. We went from, I mean, I was, Joel and I were running around in our, you know, in our personal vehicles, dropping 
cases of milk punch and collecting invoices and collecting payments and like you know we didn't have fancy vans or anything we just we just did what we could with what we had and then getting on with a with with a distributor it very quickly sw uh, swapped uh, or switched on the, the the movement of punch to where you know then rather than loading loose cases into our into our trucks our personal trucks we were strapped we were wrapping out pallets of punch and using a forklift and putting them on distribution trucks and that especially going into the holidays, especially with this type of drink, sort of apples and ginger and spice and whiskey, got a lot of immediate support from liquor stores outside of, you know, the local Mike's and Gomer's guys or, you know, I mean, other bigger liquor stores like Lucas Liquors, we got into High V. all of a sudden it was popping up in St. Louis and Topeka and Lawrence. And so the answer, I guess the short answer to your question is, yeah, it kind of, it kind of blew me away how quickly it took off. I think, like I said before, we, we launched at just the right time to get our sea legs, to get some performance in the market. And then by the time the interest came down from the distributors, we were heading into the holidays and we just ran with it. And then it really took off. And since the holidays, it's, you know, that was, that's those last three months of the year, the fourth quarter are big months for the, for, you know, for a lot of industries, but really for the alcohol and uh, beverage industry. So since we kind of hit a peak there and then we saw a bit of a dip in the new year in January and February, but we're slowly working our way back up. And um, it's uh, while the ship kind of drove itself right out of the gate, it's definitely taken, you know, active engagement to keep wind in the sails, but heading into the summer months, got a lot of events coming up, just trying to stay present, stay visual, uh, visible, I think with this new recipe, which I'm pretty excited about. Fingers crossed. I think we'll see some good response from that too. So awesome. Well, I am so excited for, I'm really excited for this other recipe to, to come out whenever it does. I will definitely be stalking your Instagram to see, to see when that is announced and launched and we'll be excited to try it whenever it hits stores. So uh, where, where can people find you and your, you know, any Instagram account, anything that people should be following you personally or just business wise? I will make announcements on our uh, social media uh, with some more public events that we have coming up. I am currently also running the Instagram with the help. And I also need to, I didn't give a shout out to Charlie before. That's, I hate to bring him in so late in the game, but uh, the guy who does all of our branding, his name is Charlie Burt. And he's, uh, he's amazing. He does all of the, he does all of the branding for the Rieger distillery. And uh, he, he, you know, worked with us on the label and kind of helped us get out of the launch, the brand and get the website up and the Instagram up and all that. I'm still learning the Instagram game. We've got a, we've got an Instagram page. I'm, I'm working on generating more content there to make it a little more exciting. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, on there, any sort of public events that I do, we'll announce on our social media and it just kind of, it kind of depends. I do a lot of different tastings. I've got some bar, uh, some bar pop-ups that are coming up. I'll try to keep that stuff as public as possible. And then the best times to catch me would be when I'm out behind the bar or, or doing an event with someone. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, like I said, it was, um, you were definitely someone early on that was um, suggested to me multiple times by various people. So I said it earlier, but again, I really think that that shows how well connected you are in, in the city and in the industry and just how much people believe, believe in your product. So I, I thank you again for, for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I see your Instagram or the Bronson's Milk Punch Instagram handle is Bronson's Milk Punch. Um, yes. So you can follow listeners can follow that there. And I know on your website as well, I believe there's a place to um, check like where the closest retailer is to someone that, that sells um, your milk punch. I know. Cause I've used it. So yes. for- yeah, I'm glad you, glad you <laughs> I just mentioned that and I'm glad you've used it, but yes, we on our website, which is just Bronson's There is a map widget on there that I try to keep updated that has all of the retails across Missouri and Kansas that carry us. And then, um, some of the uh, bars and restaurants that also carry us. I keep up the best as I can. It's a little hard to track on the Kansas side, but on the Missouri side, I try to stay on top of it. So um, that's a good place to find where you can go, go find some product. Awesome. Well, yeah, all listeners can go check out the website or the Instagram handle. And as always, you can follow me on Instagram at Casey by Sari, and we will see you next week. Ooh, yeah. Hey, Casey's confidential. Casey's confidential. Yeah. Oh, Kansas City's best. Ooh, Casey confidential. Casey's confidential.